Hello and you are listening to ScarJo a Go-Go, the podcast where I chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I'm Luke and this week I'm talking about In Good Company. We're here to learn, not just to yawn, for our most loved celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer if you'd refer to her as Miss Johansson. Don't be a jerk to Miss Johansson. Respect her work. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe go. Ten years ago, in the heady year of 2004, Scarlett Johansson was a girl who could not say no. Uh, Look, gaining more buzz than a whole lot of bees, offers for film work appeared to be just flooding in all over the place. Do you know, in this single year, 2004, she appeared in no less than five films. Uh, The Perfect Score, A Love Song for Bobby Long, A Good Woman, SpongeBob SquarePants the Movie, and In Good Company. So many films, uh, two of them had good in the title, and ironically weren't. Um, And In Good Company itself is an ironic title, considering she's billed behind Mr. Topher Grace. So, hungrily devouring an embarrassing abundance of opportunities, it seemed that Scarlett wanted to try it all, but... Was this spurt of work sustainable or did it come with a cost? What happens when you have but one tongue to taste the world? Now, when we last left Scarlet, if you recall, she had been transformed into a monstrous hybrid half fish, half Enid coleslaw type creature who flooded the sea with exposition in this SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Uh, Ironically, again, although animated, it was not as two-dimensional as the character she gets saddled with on today's show. Lots of irony here. The sea is filled with irony and fish, which, in a roundabout way, brings us to today's film, which is called In Good Company. Now, this is not a film I'd seen. I didn't really know anything about it until we read the little IMDb thing last week. Uh, Just as a reminder to orient you, dear listener, this is a film where Dennis Quaid, a 51-year-old Dennis Quaid, is an old-school businessman. He's an advertising executive who finds out that his new boss is New School Internet's Topher Grace, and that he also may be having a little bit of a relationship with Quaid's daughter's vagina. So that's the setup. That's the film we're talking about. In good company. Well, why don't we just get into it? What are we waiting for? I'm pumped. You're pumped. Let's do this. So the film starts with a flashing alarm clock. But unlike previous films, this is not Scarlett Johansson waking up. It is Dennis Quaid. Top build in the film. The credits are coming up over the top of this. Uh, Topher Grace is second build. And Scarlett is third behind Topher Grace. You are fucking with me film and um some interesting other names in this film as the credits start coming up clark greg otherwise known as agent colson in agents of shield and the avengers films uh is also in this thing which i thought was pretty cool 
Anyway, it's very early morning. So early, in fact, that the sun hasn't even come up yet. Too early for the sun. Dennis gets ready in the dark, uh, kisses his sleeping wife. He watches TV. Now, of course, the one news story that happens to be on TV at the moment relates directly to the buyout of his uh, publishing house that publishes the sports magazine that he sells advertising for. It was bought out by Malcolm McDowell, no less, of uh, Clockwork Orange fame. He's uh, decided, I want some sports magazines, and I'm sure that's going to cause some complications for Mr. Quaid in the future. Look, this is funny. My note here says that his wife left a pregnancy test uh, box in the garbage, like in plain view. He looks down in the trash can. I'm saying trash can for you Americans. And uh, there is an empty pregnancy test box. Um, and he looks across then from the box to a picture of uh, his young daughter, Scarlett Johansson, on the fridge. Now, uh, this is a young picture of her. It looks like an older picture. There's no makeup or anything. I guess it's really just establishing that this is his daughter. This is the house of exposition. Now, that was my interpretation. I've got to admit, watching it straight away, I thought, uh-oh, is his wife pregnant? And he's looking at the picture of his daughter, Scarlett, and thinking, oh, but children are so long behind us, you know? She's all grown up now. Do we want another baby? Uh-uh, that would cause chaos. I get up early enough as it is, but I have to go to work really early. So that was what I thought was happening. Obviously, uh, I was wrong, as we'll turn out later, but uh, we'll talk about that. No, actually, I was right. It was his wife, but we're supposed to think it was his daughter. We'll talk about that later. I can't help being right. So he gets on a plane and goes to work. Would you like to take a, a plane to work every day? I would. Uh, but it turns out, no, it's just he's trying to sell magazine advertising, old school style, to an old dude. And, and we contrast this with young, forward-thinking Topher Grace who is in a boardroom pitching a dinosaur-shaped cell phone for the under-fives. Um, I guess that's satire, though this movie is not especially funny. And it is Clark Gregg who sort of resides over this boardroom meeting where he's pitching this um, T-Rex-shaped phone. And, and it turns out they work for, like, Globalcom or Globecom or something. They are the team uh, that has taken over Quaid's publishing place. And, um, look, Topher Grace, he's really young, and, and this scene just evolves into business, 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 business. I'm going to be hearing that word a lot today. Business. Oh, shit. Seven minutes in, Quaid returns home late. It's dark again. He opens the door into his daughter's bedroom, and who should be laying there in bed looking back at him? None other than the star of our show, even though she's third build in this film, Scarlett Joe Hansen. So she is still, after all this time, after becoming an adult, after doing Lost in Translation, she is still, to my chagrin, playing the daughter who lives at home. They have completely clipped her wings. They've tied her firmly to the old apron strings. I just think, for the love of God, set her free. Let her be a sophisticated adult. But no, she's in bed in a white t-shirt, idly throwing a tennis ball into the air. It's a peach-colored room. We usually talk about a bedroom when we see her bedroom. Uh, it's absolutely filled with trophies. So we can assume straight away, this bedroom's telling us all sorts of things about this character. She is daddy's girl. She loves her sports. It's not at all subtle in any way. And I knew straight away, I thought, 
even though like this thing is written all over her room, like you look at the room and you go, okay, he works for a sports magazine. She's got sports trophies everywhere, which also is not a very sophisticated adult thing to do. It's very much like a kid's room, which is kind of weird because she's no longer a kid. She's a fully grown woman, a grown ass woman, as the Americans like to say. So despite the fact that all these clues are there, hammering is in the face, I thought to myself, I wrote the note, I said, I bet they talk about sports within a couple of seconds. Just a, you know, just a ride at home. Slide into home. That's a sports metaphor from the basin balls. Um, her first line, we always mention a first line in a film, is a very quiet, hey dad, which again is positing her as this young uh, sort of more immature girl rather than a uh, fully grown adult. And um, we still can't really see her properly at this point. It's a wide shot. She's in profile. And he replies, hey, buddy, calls her buddy, not sweetheart, darling, anything like that. So she's tomboying already. And we're very used to Scarlet tomboying in these films. So he sits on the bed and chats to her, which has got to be about the 50th scene. 50th scene. 50th scene. Hard to say. 50th. Uh, that we've seen in this podcast alone, where Scarlett is in or on her bed and an older man comes in and chats to her while she, you know, listens attentively and, and like, really relates. This happens all the time. And, uh, sure enough, she says, we're still gonna hit tomorrow? I knew it, right? That's sports! I'm a, I'm a screenplay psychic! I know how these things work now. Like, it's ingrained in my blood. It's for that dullard in the audience that goes, Oh, she likes boards? Because, you know, they couldn't put two and two together when they saw a hundred trophies. And the fact that she's throwing a fucking tennis ball in the air. No, they spell it out. Excellent uh, filmmaking. And look, that's all the character development she gets at this stage. Just a sweet, quiet-spoken tomboy. Uh, he turns off the lights and um, she's gone. And yeah, so this is the thing. When he goes to bed, his wife tells him that she, his wife, is pregnant. And he thought that it was Scarlet that was pregnant. And we were supposed to, as an audience, see the pregnancy thing, see the shot of the fridge and think, oh, his daughter's pregnant. Uh, but I just assumed it was his wife. And I was right. So maybe I'm not a psychic, screenplay psychic person, fortune teller, empath. Maybe I don't have the screenplay shining after all. And up shit, like speaking of good cast members, which I kind of mentioned briefly before, as Selma Blair is in this. I love Selma Blair. She's Topher Grace's partner who has uh, very little to do. Um, you know, this is actually a really cool cast, except for uh, Dennis Quaid and Topher Grace. And shit, you know, Ty Burrell is in this too. He totally looks like shit. He's playing a really sort of washed up loser character. Uh, he's Quaid's workmate. Uh, basically lets him know that people are losing their damn jobs and their damn minds uh, because of this whole buyout thing. So, 12 minutes in, we see Scarlett Johansson walking through the city. She is wearing double denim jeans, a denim jacket over a hoodie, carrying a sports bag. Did I mention sports? Did I mention that a character likes sports? If I didn't, sports! Ball sticks nets. Bouncing, throwing, you name it, she fucking loves it. As I said, we often see her in these uh, tomboy clothes. What I think is interesting in this situation is that rather than expressing her own identity, uh, she's really dressed as an echo of her father. Like, we're constantly reminded by her interests and the way she dresses of where she comes from, i.e. Dennis Quaid's penis. 
And uh, Topher Grace, he ends up, just by chance, riding an elevator with Scarlet. We know what happened when Bill Murray did this in Lost in Translation. It, it formed a very beautiful, memorable, romantic movie connection. Topher Grace is no Bill Murray. He starts off quite talkative. She acts classically disinterested. We've seen her do this before. She looks at the floor a lot. Uh, he finally manages to get her attention, though, with a brutal self-effacing honesty. He tells her that it's his first day on the job and that he is totally scared shitless. And this appeals to her for some reason. And she leaves with a little bit of a curious smile on her face. I think something might be brewing here in their pants. So Topher leaves her and almost uh, immediately, literally bumps into Quaid. Not a good meeting for these two. I bet these two will be bumping up against each other uh, a few times in the future. Maybe after Topher starts bumping up against uh, Scarlet. But uh, then Quaid leaves Topher. I feel really silly saying Topher all the time. Topher. 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 Say it like a lot of times, and it's one of those words that's just no meaning. I don't think it had meaning in the first place. Tofa. Black Friday Tofa One specials. What's your Tofa? Balance. Hopefully, all of that's cut out. Uh, look, Quaid, Quaid enters his office to find Scarlet uh, waiting for tennis. She wants to play tennis with him, and they play tennis together. Lots of really deep, manly grunts from Scarlet every time she hits the ball with that racket. I think uh, she is absolutely has the, the voice that is built for uh, masculine tennis grunting. And uh, she's wearing a big baggy white shirt and shorts too, so she's not there to be like in the cute little dress or anything. She is just there to play some fucking tennis. She kicks Quaid's ass and then teases him about being old. You're getting old, old man. Old sportsman. And then she finally reveals her secret, this thing that he knows she's been a bit cagey about. It's not a pregnancy. It's the fact that she got into NYU and he's going to have to move in the city to study creative writing. And look, she's just so quiet and unassuming in this scene. Every bit of dialogue she has is really basic sort of small talk where it's the men that are doing the character-driven stuff. I mean, she is more than capable. All her memorable roles, I'm assuming that somebody cast her because they saw her in some really fun, memorable roles. So why not give her a fucking character instead of this sweet, I love you daddy kind of girl. It makes no sense. Actors. I learned this from an actor um, early when I was doing theater. And uh, he, this was a veteran, older gentleman actor. And what I'm about to say should be absolutely fucking obvious, but the, but the thing is it's not. What he said was actors uh, like to have something to do. They like to act. You know, they're not a bit of furniture. They're not a bit of scenery. They're, they're not just a, a fucking device to drive the plot forward. And I feel that Scarlet is a device to drive the plot forward. And when you land Scarlett Johansson in your film, and this isn't a first rodeo, this is a 18th slash 19th film if you count her three seconds as a child in fall, you would think you would really want to harness that appeal and give her a great character. If you've got a poster which features her, Quaid, and Topher, and, and all three of them are billed, you would think that all three of them would be given interesting characters to play off each other. But it, it doesn't fucking happen, and it confuses me, because this script is written by the, the, the Weiss Weiss guy that uh, he wrote and directed about a boy. 
That's got strong female characters, like in Tony Collette. That's a really good script. This thing, I don't know what purpose it serves, but we're going to get there. So now um, Quaid has to pay for a new baby and help pay for Scarlett's New York University education. But you know what? His job is in the shitter. He's been demoted, but she doesn't know that. She hugs him, and then she gets all sweaty from him because he's been playing tennis, and she's all like, oh, dad, which I thought was funny because... Back in her second film, Just Cause, Sean Connery, everyone sweated all over her and she was fine. She was just like, yeah, give me that, that, that acting sweat. I want all that in there and I'm going to like seep away at your powers and then I'm going to harness them and use them myself. But she's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want any of those Dennis Quaid powers. No, thank you. I smell like Meg Ryan. And, uh, you know, I realized, speaking of Dennis Quaid, actually, in the next scene he has with Topher Grace, where they meet properly, um, revealing that Topher Grace is his new boss. Oh, no, a young man is an old man's boss. Cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. Uh, it's, I realized that Dennis Quaid is kind of a poor man's Harrison Ford. Like, seriously, he's kind of got the look. He does the curmudgeonly scowl. He's kind of got the hair in this film. And if you close your eyes and listen to the voice, you might be fooled into thinking that this is Harrison Ford here. But it's not. It's Dennis Quaid. Smoke and mirrors. It's a trick. It's an illusion. So, look, everything's coming up Topher. He gets Quaid's office. He gets a new car. Um, he gets in a car accident. Then uh, he hurts his arm and he's dumped by Selma Blair. Uh-oh. Topher single. He's back on the prowl. And 23 minutes in, my observation is that... Look, this isn't a dramatic movie. Uh, it's not a funny movie. What is this movie? Th this is a so some stuff happened movie. Then business, 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 old school versus new school, internet's business, hits portals, advertising. Then Topher fires Ty Burrell, gets his whole team in to work on a Sunday. No one will go out for drinks or dinner with him when night falls. Um, and then due to a misunderstanding, he ends up going back to Quaid's house for dinner with his family. So he meets the wife, he's oblivious, obnoxious, and then Scarlett Johansson enters in a t-shirt and pajama pants, still very downplayed in her look, um, still playing the fact that she's a, you know, a young woman at home with her parents. And she goes defensive instantly, like he's some kind of uh, bedroom intruder, like an interloper or something. Her arms are folded and she's very low key here. Like I said, no character at all. It's just... They're refusing to even give us any sort of arc. And now suddenly, she starts to fall again for his bizarre honesty thing. And he gets all the good lines. And she just gets to stand there and react and listen to him. You know, uh, and then he says something witty. And she instantly invites him uh, to the garage to play foosball. Not a euphemism. But, you know, suddenly she's smitten. And why? Because the plot demands it. And she does reveal a little bit of backstory here. Uh, she's not into tennis anymore. She's sick of being a jock and people think she's a lesbian. And um, the only thing I liked here is she said she doesn't want to peak at 21 like those other girls. And I thought at least this character is um, smart. Like maybe like academically smart. I don't think she's very socially smart. Um, and you know, Scarlett Johansson playing a smart tomboy outsider. That's like butter on toast. In fact, it leads me to ask, do people keep writing smart tomboy outsiders and then casting Scarlett Johansson, or does she come in and kind of influence the role in some way? Because otherwise, it's a pretty massive coincidence. A spaghetti gets dropped on the floor, so they have Domino's Pizza instead. The whole family, including loudmouth daughter number two, who I didn't even know existed, uh, sit around the table with Topher. 
I just really noticed as well in this scene just how deep Scarlet's voice is in this movie. Well, I thought in this movie, but it's really this scene and the scene where she says that she's, um, the people think she's a lesbian. It's like she's dropping even lower, like it's a choice, like she's going, okay, you know, I'm the, I'm the sporty girl, I'm the jock. And I feel like this has happened in a few movies, like the southern accent in um, The Love Song for Bobby Long, and also the sort of higher, girlier voice that kind of started in A Good Woman, but then disappeared. It's almost like, and I, I appreciate that they probably did not shoot these scenes in chronological order. It's almost like she tries something for a bit and goes, oh, I think this is the character, but then kind of abandons it. So when you watch the performance, there's just a couple of scenes which really uh, push a kind of twist on the character, but, th- but then it all disappears. And then when Topher leaves to add insult to injury, she watches him coyly from the window, trapped there in her parents' cage. Uh, romantic music plays. She bites her lip, which I love. She is falling for him already. Why? Because the plot demands it. Nothing like foosball and dominoes to get Cupid's bow a-firing. And she's undergoing a few changes here. Quaid helps her move into NYU, talking boxes, dorms, a marijuana poster that he scowls at, more double denim. She's all quiet and sweet again as Quaid leaves her with some pepper spray. Uh, He tells her to be careful. Subtext, be careful with your vagina. Please don't put any Topher Graces in it. Really weird scene when you think about it. It's no sort of, you know, I'm proud of you. You're going to get an education. Good luck. Um, I hope it's a lot of fun. It's like, don't get raped. Don't trust anyone. Okay, thanks, Robocop. Then business, business, business. Sell more pages, fire more slackers. Business, business. Then later on, Topher runs into Scarlet, reading at a cafe, looking very bright and professional here. Her dialogue is still very straightforward and bland, though, while he gets to be witty again as he joins her for coffee. I find it very timid in this film. Um, As I said, everything that is said is small talk caliber. Like, school is pretty good. In fact, you might think I'm, like, overreacting, saying this character is dull. Her character says her character is dull. She says... I've always been interested in stories, escaping into other people's lives, only because mine seems so boring. And it is. It really is. She's basically like, school's okay. Let's talk about you, Topher. You're so fascinating. And then that romantic song is back as they walk through the city talking. Now she has a skirt and legs now. No more jeans, no more pajama pants. She's a real prospect for him now. His divorce has gone through, so it's time. She started looking like a pretty lady in this film, am I right? Um, And then we cut to the end of the date. They come out of a restaurant, and she throws herself on him and kisses him and invites him back to her dorm room. Would you like to come back to my vagina? Don't tell Dad. I've got to do this because the plot demands it. By the way, she has a poster in a dorm room that is his company logo with sucks written on it, um, which one, he doesn't, I don't think he even references or notices. And like, she's not 12 years old. Why is she going to write sucks on this thing? Like sick burn, you're an adult and the old set dresser, the artistic director or whatever the person is that gets to dress the sets who gave us the, um, all the sports trophies has given the college dorm a lava lamp. Lava lamps and marijuana posters. That's a college, man. 
Um, and look, as soon as they get into the room, she doesn't even say anything. She just starts to undress him. And he says, I wish you weren't so beautiful. And she goes, I'm not. So obviously she's got rampant self-esteem issues, uh, which is probably explaining some of this really erratic behavior. Um, and then she drapes a cloth over a lamp. I, she says she doesn't normally take boys back. In fact, she says she's never taken a boy back. Uh, the way she puts the like material over the lamp for mood lighting, lights some candles. I kind of feel she's done this before. Um, there's still this quiet, nervous, awkward energy between them. And then she's kissing him again. And I just think, you know what would have made her even more attractive to me in this film? Like a fucking personality. A character. Good screenplays have characters in them. This has a couple of characters in them. Scarlett Johansson is not one of them. Um, and then she mentions her dad while they kiss, just a reminder uh, of what's going on because the plot demands it. It's like uh, filling a room with sports trophies and then saying, hey, want to play sports? Um, and then we cut away as they drop to the bed. Topher Grace, you just got sexed. You got scar sex bone handsomed. And then we go to date two, and now she's wearing a red dress, like a sexy red dress with a black jacket and big earrings because she is a sex woman now. And I thought this was interesting before when her father had ownership of her, she dressed like a casual tomboy. Now that flashy young Topher Grace owns her, she wears sexy red dresses and her hair's all nice and wavy and she's wearing makeup. So... Now she is an echo of another man rather than um, having any consistent identity of her own. And in fact, she plays tennis with Topher Grace, uh, drinking a coffee with one hand as she murders him. And now instead of that big white baggy t-shirt, she's got the sexy tennis skirt because she's got to be sexy for her sex man, right? Um, then they're at a cafe and he's paying for things on his credit card like a big businessman because he's got to keep that sex flowing with his sex friend. All right, then um, look, a whole lot of business firings, business basketball, basketball with the businessmen um, at work. Topher stares creepily at his Scarlett Johansson screensaver. Um, that was the one thing in the film that I could personally relate to. Uh, then finally... Well, not finally for the film, but finally in terms of uh, this plot paying off. It's Quaid's surprise 52nd birthday party and both Scarlet and Topher are in there. I can see where this is going. And uh, she's in that pretty party dress because she's not daddy's little sports girl anymore. Um, this is a weird scene though. Like the film, I suppose, is supposed to be a comedy, except it's not very funny. And then occasionally it will do something that's really kind of in your face. Ah, it's a comedy. And what happens is they think they're going to surprise Quaid, but he knows they're in there. So he comes in in his boxer shorts and nothing else and flashes his ass at them and yells surprise. And then it's never mentioned again. Oh, what? Uh, so Topher and Scarlett, they go outside while everyone else is partying and have a, a chat inside the car. And Topher tells her again that she looks really beautiful, just stoking the fires of low self-esteem. I feel like calling Scarlett Johansson beautiful is like reminding a polar bear that it's white at this stage. But he gives her a diamond necklace and she's like, oh no, it's too expensive. But she takes it. So now he officially owns her. Put it around your neck and show the world you're mine. 
Still no good dialogue for Scarlet. And then Quaid sees them out of the window, getting out of the car, holding hands. Presumably hot, sweaty, sticky hands. He looks very rattled. What's he gonna do? Nothing yet. We cut away until Scarlet and Topher, they meet in a restaurant. Now look, pay attention to this scene. This is the climactic scene as far as Scarlett Johansson is concerned in this film. I also think it's a really fucked up scene. I think it's a scene that we should be asking questions of. I've read a lot of reviews, like user reviews from last year even, about this film. Uh, A lot of people say it's good, a lot of people say it's not great. No one at all that I've read talks about how fucked up the values in this scene um, are. So let me lay this out and and you tell me as a reasonable thinking uh, fellow Scarlet scientist whether or not this is right. So they're having small talk in the restaurant, Topher and Scarlet. It's very romantic. Bear in mind, remember, these are two consenting adults having a relationship. They haven't been really doing things in secret or whatever. They just haven't decided to tell anyone yet. They've been sort of figuring out how they feel about each other. Then curmudgeonly Quaid uh, does his best Harrison Ford scowl, glares at them through the window. Um, she's wearing the necklace. Topher tells her she looks beautiful again. Yeah, and Smurfs are blue. And then Quaid bursts in. He comes in screaming in public in front of a lot of people, embarrassing his daughter and says, I have just one question. Are you sleeping with him? Okay, so first, what the fuck? Why is that any of the dad's fucking business? She is an adult. She doesn't even live at home anymore. Uh, She is an independent person, a consenting adult who has chosen a partner. If he feels rattled or betrayed about the fact that this is his boss, feels that it it causes him some problems or whatever, uh, maybe address it that way. But the fact that their fucking is the point of contention with Quaid, which seems really fucking off to me that he's in there yelling about his daughter's sex life in a public place. Um, she doesn't respond. He asks again, are you sleeping with him? She says, what do you want me to say, dad? Shrugs, you know, vagina, what can I tell you? And Quaid punches Topher Grace in the head. So Topher, on the ground, bruised, battered, tells Scarlet that he loves her. Indirectly, he says it's Quaid. He says, but I love her. And Quaid's basically like, you don't own her, I own her, because I got out a second mortgage to get her into college. So his financial investment in his daughter allows him to physically assault someone that he doesn't like her being in a relationship with. Uh, Topher Grace, by the way, like he's not particularly funny, he's not particularly charismatic, but he has not been abusive to her or anything like that. He hasn't even been a prick to her. He's actually been a sweet guy and they're having a sweet relationship. It's the romantic sort of comedy part of the thing without the comedy. But then Quaid looks like he might tear up. He storms out of the restaurant. Scarlet chases him. She's all upset. And he's like, we had a deal that we'd always tell each other the truth. We made a pact. And she was like, I was five years old then. And he's like, yeah, and I liked you better then. You know, when your wanton vagina wasn't so rampant. And he storms away, leaving her going, you know, that's not very nice. What are you doing? So what's going to happen here? 
Like, are Quaid and Topher going to have to get on Judge Judy, figure out what's worth more, the diamond necklace of the college education, and therefore, which one has the bigger financial investment in Scarlet and gets to take her home? Like, I don't understand why these two men get to fight it out over her and decide, like, what she can or can't do. Andy, like, he fucking physically assaulted him. In fact, like, the next time we see Topher, him and Scarlet are having a quiet, awkward chat at the dorm. He's got a black eye. There are absolutely no repercussions for the physical assault. It just gets swept under the rug, even though they both work together, even though he's the boss. It is completely naturalized. Like, it's absolutely okay to physically assault someone um, if you don't agree with their choice of partner to consenting adults who were having a romantic meal, you're allowed, according to this film, to just go and punch one of them in the face if you don't agree with the whole thing. Scarlet is now all confused. She says she's going to do a double major and no longer has time for her vagina anymore. Um, And this is proved by the fact that she's now back in jeans and a baggy top and no makeup and her hair is tied back again. The vagina is closed for business. She's back in daddy's little sports girl clothes and doesn't want to see him anymore. So because her father doesn't want her having sex with this guy that she likes and physically assaulted him, she is now dumping him. Now, you might argue, well, that's kind of the third act thing of a romantic comedy. They've got to split up so that they can get back together again. Well, let's just see how this plays out. I'm also going to mention that Topher Grace in this scene has a very weird, wall-eyed, glazed, serial killer look to him. I didn't notice it until this scene. Kind of creepy. And he tells her, this is how inconsistent this script is, that he enjoyed talking to her more than anyone in his entire life, which seems crazy when all she says is stuff like, school is good, hey dad, sports and stuff. If that's the truth, Topher, you have to get out more. So, let's recap quickly. There was the assault in the restaurant. Quaid physically abused Topher and mentally, emotionally abused his daughter. Now, the follow-up scene with Topher and Scarlet is she dumps him. I don't want to see you anymore. Now, the follow-up scene with Scarlet and Quaid, who meet in the hospital because mum's having some baby complications. Don't panic about that. It turns out fine. They end up sitting and talking. Uh, They are very quiet and awkward as well. And she up apologizes to Quaid and says, you must think I'm disgusting. So there's her self-esteem issues again. She didn't know about the second mortgage, so she's very apologetic about that. Like, it would fucking have anything to do with her relationship in the first place. And now she's so confused about who owns her, I guess. And he tells her she's a smart uh, smart girl. She can take care of herself, which is very generous of him. If only we could all be told that by a man. Hey, don't worry, Luke. You can do this podcast. You're smart and uh, you can take care of yourself. Oh, thanks. Yes, I'm 38. Uh, And that's the scene. No, I was wrong. If you're interested in him, then you should pursue it. Don't be influenced by me. Um, I'm going to go to jail for what I did because I'm a fucking maniac. Nope. She dumps Topher and apologizes to the man who abused them both. There's still a little part of you, isn't there, which is thinking, but this will get resolved. It'll all turn out right. Um, It's a romantic comedy. It'll it'll all come out in the wash. 
Let's see. Uh, Malcolm McDowell comes to visit the office. Business, business, business. He does a big speech, but Quaid interrupts. He's like, what do computers have to do with sports? Ah, welcome to the fucking future, Quaid. History has already proven 10 years later that your magazine business sucks balls. You lose this one. Uh, Clark Gregg wants to fire Quaid. Topher suddenly becomes all, like... Um, a martyr and a hero for the guy that punched his lights out and says, if you're going to fire Quaid, you better fire me too. And then what? So Quaid's heart now grows three sizes and he decides that perhaps Topher's penis is good enough for his daughter's vagina after all. Not yet, at least. Instead, they've got 24 hours to get a big account and save their jobs. Uh, short version, they succeed. Well, Quaid does. He gets his job back, gets his office back. But Tofa is let go because the business that bought it out gets fucked or whatever. I don't know. Sad Tofa wanders the streets. Quaid offers him a job as his second in command. Tofa declines. Tofa thanks Quaid for teaching him things and stuff. I guess with his fists. And Quaid lets him know he's a good man and Topher hugs him and nearly tears up for some reason and then leaves. And when Topher leaves, he runs into Scarlet again and it's awkward and shy again. Um, he says some funny lines. She says that she's been working on some short stories. No details, of course, uh, but they're short. So Topher says, awesome, because if they're short, I don't know what, they might even be sweet. Like, totally sweet stories. He doesn't say anything like, um, oh, great, what are they about? What's your inspiration? What are you doing? What led you into this? Just, oh, great, don't tell me any more about that. Let's talk about me. Uh, she says goodbye, smiles, looks at the floor a lot, and leaves. And that's the last time they're in a scene together. So, um, father said, don't put his dick in you. Punch, punch, punch. I fucking hate you. I liked you better when you were five. She dumped him, apologized. And, and now she's back to being daddy's girl like she was at the beginning. Great character arc. Because, I mean, really, it's a complete narrative dead end. Because, uh, I mean, I guess I'm glad the screenwriter at least has the conscience or has been stopped from adding a scene where Quaid basically says, Topher, you're a good man. I give you permission to bang my daughter. A bit, you know, because she obviously has no free will of her own. But instead, it just ends here. And then the, the final sequence is later Scarlet and her sister are in the hospital with Quaid and they realise they have a new baby sister and they all hug. Uh-oh, Quaid, another vagina to protect. Are you going to be able to do this when you're in your 70s? You're like 50 now. And then of all people to call and tell the news, Quaid calls Topher. Like, does he not realize what's going to happen in 18 years when this baby becomes legal and Topher's like on the prowl? Holy shit, there's your sequel. In good company to the vagina-ing. And uh, that's the end of the film. So, I mean, what did we learn here? She liked a guy, she seduced the guy, she had consensual sex with the guy and started a relationship. Then her dad punched the guy, told her he didn't like her anymore. So she dumped the guy, apologized to her dad, then wrote some short stories. What a memorable character to pass on to one of 2004's hottest upcoming actresses. And to all those people that like have reviewed the film and said, oh yeah, that's good and it's funny and Scarlet's good in this, or I didn't like Scarlet in this, or whatever your opinion was, no one mentioned just like how fucked up this story is. Like, is it that naturalized? Do we not ask these questions? We need to ask more questions. 
writers, screenwriters, and you know, look, I would love that job. I'd love to be a screenwriter, but let's be honest, then they're, they're not going to always be the most worldly people. They spend a lot of time alone. They live in a Hollywood fantasy world. I just mean, ultimately, all these characters, everything that happens, everything that everybody says in a film, like, I mean, it's just written by some guy. It's just some, like, dude in his house saying some stuff, and we shouldn't just, like, blindly accept that, oh, yeah, that's how the world works. You nailed it, buddy. We gotta ask more questions. I'm gonna do that on this podcast. I'm gonna use it for good. This might have started as a, we kind of really like Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> but, you know, you and I, dear listener, we are learning stuff. And we deserve better quality films. Um, why was she cast? Well, because she's great. Of course, they wanted her. I just can't figure out why she did this one. Was it just about saturation? Did she indeed want to try it all, taste it all with the one tongue? She just couldn't say no? Did they lie to her about the script? I don't know. I just think it's telling that her film output after this, after 2004, where she did the five films, then settled down to a more reasonable couple of films a year. Um, This was definitely a case. 2004 was a case of quantity, not quality, and I'm glad she turned it around. Although I will say, 2014, 10 years later, we were actually blessed this year with Scarlett Johansson in four films that I really enjoyed, and that was Winter Soldier, Chef, Lucy, and Under the Skin. So you can do a lot of films in a year, but like make them good ones. And unfortunately, 2004 for Scarlett Johansson was filled with misfires. Now, final bit of housekeeping before we go, scarcabulary. What's the new word or phrase that we learnt this episode? Gotta be scar sex bone handsome. Another abhorrent phrase that I'm sure she would absolutely hate were she ever to hear this. So, uh, therefore, we're going to put it in the vault and never say it again. And her three greatest feats. What are the three things that she accomplished that she did in this film that we will forever remember it by? Holy shit, is that a tough one this time around with a character that did nothing? Um, thought about this and number one, she read a book in a cafe, which would have been more interesting than acknowledging the characters and the world around her. Two, she bravely kissed Topher Grace. And I imagine this would have been like one of those survivor challenges where they have to eat a plate of worms. And three, she managed to deliver her lines with a straight face without kicking the screenwriter slash director in the throat. But next time on Scarlett Johansson, we're getting into a film which I've never seen, but I am very intrigued by. This is one of the ones I'm looking forward to. One of the ones which probably started me on this path because I was like, oh, I need to watch these Scarlett films that I never got around to. And that is Matchpoint. Woody Allen has his connoisseur eye on Scarlett. And I'm hoping that Woody Allen, as an appreciator of fine things, read between the lines, understands Scarlett Johansson's appeal and is going to harness it in an interesting way and give her an actual character and dialogue and uh, tell a story. So I'm hoping that one turns out okay, and it's more tennis as well. What are the odds? So please join me next week for that one. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I absolutely appreciate that. I really appreciate it if you rate and review it on iTunes. I won't do my big angry rant this week. And uh, please listen to my other podcasts as well. The book was better and FP cast, which is a general pop culture cast. 
You can find them all at www.fruitlesspursuits.com. There's big links to them all right up the top. And come and join the discussion on our Facebook discussion page. Just search for any of the podcast titles. You will find it. I'd really love to hear from you. I'd love to know what you think of this whole thing. I'm like, am I being outrageously sensitive about this? Or is this like a shitty thing that we, we just unfortunately don't think about enough because we see it all the time? I don't know. Maybe you pick up some things uh, in this that I didn't. Be great to have... Uh, a little bit of a, a two-way going on. Or a three-way. Bring a friend. I'm very flexible. Hopefully your friend is flexible too. Now I'm doing the thing that I complained about. Men. We're incorrigible. And catch you next time. She starts off really small and then she grows. She grows. She grows. She grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe go, go.